Are you ready to go to the Word this morning? Yes. Praise God. I heard somebody say, bring it, and um, you know what? I'm going to. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace today to receive the Word that you have served up for today. And I pray that you would give me the grace to deliver it, Lord, in your power and your anointing for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, I'm reminded that your word says, Lord Jesus, that you came to destroy the works of the devil. And I'm just going to kind of pray a bold prayer here today, Lord, because I just have faith that you are able to do above and beyond what I could dare to ask or imagine. So I'm going to pray, Lord, that you would use me as a battering ram to your enemy's kingdom today. That shackles would be broken off of people's lives. That new freedom would come into people's lives today. That couples and families and households would be healed today. And that the expansion of your kingdom would happen mightily today. And that no weapon in hell would be able to stop what's about to happen today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Brace yourself. I felt the hand of God on me this week regarding this teaching. And uh, I just really feel like that God wants to do some amazing things in this church and in our families. So turn to our master text of James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And if you're not very familiar with your Bible yet, that's toward the very end of your Bible, small book at the very end of your Bible. If you can find Hebrews, turn right, you'll run right into the book of James. And, you know, I want to say as you're finding that, by the way, I'll give you a minute to find it, and as, you're, as you are finding it, one of the potential weak spots of pastors is to always have a new and fresh word from the Lord, right? We always want to serve up something that people have never heard before. Uh, but you know what the Lord's been ministering to me lately? He reminds me that we don't necessarily need a new and fresh word from the Lord if we're not even doing what we already know. <laughs> okay? You know, sometimes, and I think not just sometimes, but very often, um, we need to go back over what we've already heard before and already learned in order to reapply it. And that's why we read and reread and reread over and over again the Word of God, because there may be some things that uh, we need to be reminded of that we've let fall by the wayside from time to time. So I say all that to say that what God is serving up today in this teaching are things that we have, as a church have talked about many times before, uh, but we still need to be reminded of these concepts because they're so important to our faith and to our effectiveness in the advancement of God's kingdom. So, with that said, let's read our master text, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. If you would, stand up with me, and let's honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading out of the New International Version today. You go ahead and follow along in whatever version you're reading from. It says, Who is the wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quote unquote, 
does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. So I just want to break that down. I actually want to focus on a couple of verses in that passage that I have on the screen for you. Verses 14, 15, and 16. And uh, give you a little bit of of additional insight on that. First of all, in verse um, 15 there, it refers to earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, let's define what those three mean in a little bit of a broader sense here. So earthly means belonging to this earthly realm or something that's opposed to the heavenly realm. And earthly means belonging to the base carnal desires or opposed to spiritual things. And demonic means exactly that. It means it comes from the realm of the damned. It's satanic. It's purely evil. And that's proven in verse 16 where it says that there is disorder and every evil practice. So then what we should be doing, uh, seek to be doing, is to become servants and peacemakers. You know, deeds done in humility, as this passage says, rather than harboring the selfishness that leads to disorder and evil. I want to say that again. Let me reemphasize that point. Uh, Selfishness leads to disorder and disarray in your life. So if it seems like your life is out of order, like certain things are coming apart in your life, well, maybe you need to re-examine some things. But more on that in a few minutes. First, I want to talk for a few minutes here about the nature of the battle that we're in. So in 2002, author Frank Peretti's fictional novel, This Present Darkness, came out, and uh, it may have been one of the first times where uh, the unseen battle in the spiritual realm around us was portrayed in such a dramatic way. And the only other time that I can remember that an author wrote like this was C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is about a demon that um, is assigned to certain people, and the conversations that occur between that demon and his demonic overseer. So we need to understand that there is a battle in the unseen realm and that our real enemies aren't really people, but the spiritual forces behind them. Our real enemies aren't people, but the spiritual forces behind them. Our battle, the Bible says, is not against flesh and blood. So our battle is not against other people. So let's read a reference to that truth right there out of Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, and I think most of you are familiar with this, but let's read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, there it is, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our real enemy. Now, another person who's written very perceptively along these lines is my friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry King, in his non-fictional book, It's Not About You, It's About the Kingdom, 
The Essence of the Christian Life, excellent book. Um, and he says in that book, though we wish it were different, St. Paul made it clear that our becoming a part of the kingdom of God did not exempt us from the war with the other kingdom. Craftily, the enemy has invaded our worship expressions. We hear the song poets declare, the battle's over, the work is done. Wistfully, much of the church seeks a world without conflict. Though that will someday occur, it simply is not true now. It is clear that the battle still rages. Now, that one line there about the, uh, the church seeking a world without conflict is spot on. You know, we don't like conflict, do we? We actually prefer neutrality, don't we? We prefer neutrality, and that's exactly how most Christians live their lives. But you know what? Listen to this. Bullies, for example, are almost never content with neutrality. Bullies are almost never content with neutrality, and Satan is a bully. See, it's a bit like the neutrality that America wanted to maintain when World War I broke out. So let me just give you a short history lesson to illustrate this point. So when World War I broke out across Europe in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson announced that America would remain neutral. And uh, many Americans supported that policy. But public opinion <clears throat> about neutrality began to change when a German U-boat sank the British ocean liner, the Lusitania, in 1915, in which almost 1,200 people lost their lives in that attack, including 128 Americans, innocent people. The Lusitania was an ocean liner. It wasn't a warship. So public opinion began to change when that happened. Even so, President Wilson maintained that he would stay, we would stay as a nation, neutral. But that neutrality didn't keep the peace, however, because Germany, like Satan, would not allow a sleeping dog to just continue to lie there, as the saying goes. Germany went on to torpedo and sink dozens of American and British merchant ships and passenger ships in the months that followed, ships, again, that were not warships. So... Countless innocent people died in those attacks. The nail in the coffin, so to speak, the final blow was in 1917 when the British intercepted and deciphered an encrypted message from the German foreign minister to uh, Mexico who was, they were attempting to get Mexico to side with Germany and take up arms against the U.S. And it was only then, after massive loss of life and the threat of war on our own soil that President Wilson finally gave in and the United States entered World War I. So World War I kind of gives us a glimpse of the battle in the unseen realm and the spiritual. There's some parallels there, isn't there? See, it's really impossible to remain neutral when there's a maniac on the loose bent on destroying you. It's kill or be killed. You better fight or you're likely going to die. So on that note, since we're in this spiritual war, if you haven't recognized that we are in a spiritual war, since we're in this spiritual war, we have to recognize some of the tactics of the enemy. That's just smart warfare right there, right? You've got to know your enemy. 
And that's what the remaining time together is going to be about, recognizing some of the tactics of our enemy. So on that note, as it pertains to our topic today then, um, where do we see the battle raging the most? Well, certainly where relationships with God's people are concerned. You know, one of Satan's guerrilla tactics is divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. You know, going back to one verse out of our master text, James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You see, Satan is constantly at work trying to divide God's people and blow up relationships. See, we have to understand right from the beginning, folks, that people are not your problem. A lot of you go, um, really? Ultimately, people are not your problem. See, there's a force that controls certain people that they give into, and that force is demonic. So we need to come to the place of having compassion on people then who are controlled by Satan because they've been taken captive. And folks, those people are their own worst enemies. Okay? See, we can love the person. It's possible to love the person, but hate the darkness that controls them. Now, I'm going to give you a really profound statement right here that you may not have thought of before. But hate is actually a God-given emotion. Hate is actually a God-given emotion. We just have to use it as God intended. We can love the person, but hate the demons that control them. I don't know about you, but I despise Satan. I hate him. And anything that I can do to give him a black eye, I'm very, very happy to be involved in what God is doing to advance God's kingdom and decimate the enemy's kingdom. So hate is a God-given emotion. We just have to use it properly. Love the person, hate the demons that control them. And yes, sometimes, even within the church, people can be tools of Satan sometimes simply because they give in to Satan's temptations and suggestions from time to time. See, Satan knows the Bible too. Did you know that? He quoted it to Jesus one time when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Satan knows the Bible too. And he certainly knows the truth of Amos 3.3. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So Satan knows that if he can keep families and churches in strife and divided by conflict and unforgiveness, he can render us powerless against him. That's why he does this. That's why he's constantly at work trying to blow up your family relationships and church relationships. He's constantly at work trying to do that sort of thing. So here's a very profound truth right here. Our faith worketh by love according to Galatians 5, 6. If you want your faith to work, then you have to be walking in love. If you want your faith to be demonstrated in the earth appropriately, you have to be walking in love. So true faith, genuine faith, manifests itself by love for others. Write that down. Love for others. Likewise, a life of fruitfulness, and that's what we've been talking about in this series, a life of fruitfulness, therefore, is one that operates in the context of love and unity. Love and unity. So God's people need to be in agreement and in unity in order to walk in our full authority in Christ. 
again, which is what this whole series is all about, and to therefore accomplish our mission of effectively making disciples, building strong families and churches, and affecting our generation for Christ. So on that note then, I want to let you in on a profound truth right now that you cannot afford strife. You can't afford it. Whether it's in a family or a a marital relationship or anywhere else, especially in church, let's look at what Hebrews 12, 4 has to say, verses 14 and 15 on this note. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Now notice the emphasis on effort here. Make every effort, it says. In other words, this might take some work, but it's worth it in the end. Now, notice in this passage the connection between holiness and living in peace with people. So far as it depends on you anyway. And the rest of this verse, folks, is very, very poignant. So listen very closely. So notice that it says, without making this effort toward peace with people, we can't live holy. Impossible. Impossible to live holy if you're not in peace with people. So far it depends on you. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that word see in the Greek is the word harao which means to see or perceive, to see or perceive. So we can say it this way, that without holiness, you won't be able to perceive the deeper things of God. You won't be able to hear His voice or sense His direction. You won't be led by His Spirit. And not being able to be led by His Spirit and perceive God's direction in your life can lead to all kinds of additional damage because you'll make one mistake after the other. This is so important. Do you see how important this is? Now, let's focus in on verse 15 for a moment. Is there anything then that can cause us to miss the grace of God? It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. So is there anything then that can cause us to miss the grace of God? Well, apparently so. It's right there in this verse. Keep reading. If you allow a bitter root to grow up in your heart, that can not only defy you but a lot of people around you. Now, I'm going to give you a personal testimony about this to demonstrate this. My mother, who is in heaven now, was a person that really loved God, but when her marriage ended to my father, she became very embittered. Not that she didn't have a little part to play in the demise of that marriage herself, but when the marriage ended, she became very embittered. And for the most of the rest of her life, she carried that bitter root around uh, with her for most of the rest of her life until toward the end of her life when she realized that she had Alzheimer's disease in her late 70s. And it was only then that she made things right. But for 40 years before then, her life was dominated by this bitter root. And it defiled our family. It literally ruined relationships between siblings and between her and even people outside of our family. She missed so much of the grace of God in her life because of this bitter root. 
She had a call in her life. You could tell. She was extremely intelligent. She knew the Word of God like the back of her hand. She was very articulate and also a gifted writer. She took so much potential to her grave because she would not let go of this bitter root. Now, thank God, she did get it worked out in the end. So I know that she's in heaven now. But what wasted potential? The call in her life fell silent and dormant because she would not let go of this poisonous root in her heart. And therefore, she missed so much of the grace and favor of God that would otherwise have been hers had she done things differently. Now, was she genuinely hurt and wronged? Yes. But that's kind of beside the point. You know, God cares about, God cares about it when people get hurt and, and broken. He wants to bring healing to that. But he can't bring healing as long as we're holding on to a poisonous root. See, she could have and should have taken a different path than she did, but she wouldn't let it go. And it defiled her. Which leads me to this next point right here. Look at the screen. Every time you harden your heart against someone, a little part of you hardens toward God. I want to let that sink in for just a moment. Every time you harden your heart against someone, a little part of you hardens toward God because the person that you're hardening your heart against is made in God's image. Now listen, you can exercise your right, quote-unquote, to handle conflict your own way, but folks, you're going to pay a price. Let me say that again. You can exercise your right to handle conflict your own way, but you're going to pay a price. And if that person happens to be your spouse, a wedge begins to, to slowly but surely form between you until eventually love grows cold and can even turn into disdain. Now, I know this is heavy, but look, so much is at stake here, folks. Your calling is at stake. Your fruitfulness for the kingdom is at stake. Your authority in Christ is at stake. See, if we want to be used in greater measure, we better get this right. We better get this right. With that said, since this has been a little heavy so far, and it's about to get heavier, just let me give you a little comic relief, if I may, and take a little bit of a, a brief breather here for just a moment. This is from the Lucille Ball Show. <laughs> and I found that on Facebook the other day, and I thought it was hilarious, but... You know what? It, it really is possible to not live this way. Mad and frustrated at your spouse all the time. Now, I didn't say it was easy, especially if your spouse is a difficult person, but it is possible because with God, all things are possible. Praise God. Yeah, go ahead. Praise the Lord. See, if you just make the decision, folks, that you're going to love like 1 Corinthians 13. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is that love chapter that we love to quote so much. And it's so poetic in the way it, that it expresses things. But do we really live like that? See, if we decide to live like that, let me give you a portion of that, that chapter right here. 
love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. See, if you just make the commitment that you're going to love like that, which is somewhat self-sacrificing, isn't it? If we make the decision that we're going to love like that, we can keep a lot of the things that blow up other marriages out of your home. And here's a principle to help you right here. So in this diagram here, you see with this triangle, on the two bottom ends of the triangle, the husband and the wife, and at the top is God. Now notice that when the husband and the wife both get closer to God, voila, they get closer to God. They get closer to one another, I should say. When they get closer to God, they get closer to one another, don't they? That's an important principle right there, and I'll elaborate on that more in a moment. So what I want to say about this is that there's strength in numbers. Now, it's great when just one person decides to live that way, self-sacrificing, loving like 1 Corinthians 13, loving God above everything else. It's great when one person decides to live that way. But let's see what happens when people decide to live uh, in harmony with one another, when both parties or all parties, if there's more than two involved, uh, decide to reject strife and embrace unity. I'm going to read a short passage out of Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, or another way to say that would be unity. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Folks, God wants to pronounce his blessing upon you and your home. He wants to pronounce his favor upon you. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't say this very often because I'm not a real hypish kind of preacher like this. But if you get the principles that the Lord is serving up today in this teaching, it's going to change your life. It will, it will absolutely change the trajectory of your life and your home. It could change the trajectory of your, of your business, of your finances. God wants to pronounce his blessing upon your home. But a big part of that is the unity of your home. Hallelujah. Now, someone once said to me, uh, he said, Andy, you're the richest person I know, and it doesn't have anything to do with money. It's because there's peace in your home, and peace is priceless. And he should know because he was a person that didn't have peace in his home. But where Donna and I are concerned, we didn't always have that in our home. You know, early in our marriage, we had our share of problems. Um, some bad problems, as a matter of fact, in the first three or four years of our marriage. But several perspectives and practices have kept us together happily for now almost 29 years. First, we make sure that we're keeping the fires of love toward God, stoked in our hearts at all times. First and foremost... Okay, you hear about keeping the fires of love stoked between husband and wife. That's important. But first and foremost, the fires of love stoked toward God, first and foremost. And uh, you know what? Because of that commitment that we've made and knowing how God feels about divorce, that he hates it. He hates it. 
knowing that, we just never entertain that possibility. The D word, divorce, never enters the conversation, ever, ever. It's a cuss word in our house. We don't talk about that. And then thirdly, listen, if divorce is not an option, well then, why not learn to live together happily instead of enduring one another all of our lives? I don't want to live like that. Stay together just because God told me to. And that's not God's intention either. He wants you to get to the place where you enjoy one another, not just endure one another all the time. So that's what Donna and I have striven to do. And today, listen, I can honestly say that Donna and I never fight. You might think that that's an exaggeration, but it's true. We never fight. I'm serious. Now, I mean, once in a while we'll get aggravated at one another and we'll, we'll have a, a sharp remark or two, uh, but it ends right there. It doesn't escalate because we know better than to let it to. So we just never, ever have prolonged arguments. I think the last argument that we had that lasted longer than 15 seconds, seriously, was about five years ago. And before then, it was probably another five years before that. I'm serious. Because of that commitment, by the way, to work toward unity in our home, we have become better equipped to be more useful to God and His kingdom. Did you hear what I just said? Because of that commitment to not let strife in our home and to strive toward unity, we become more useful to God and His kingdom. See, I know that I wouldn't be standing before you today ministering like this if there was ongoing strife and conflict in my home because if that was happening, God would not be able to trust Donna and me with this ministry. You see, if we can't be trusted with the little things, quote-unquote, that goes on behind closed doors, then God would not be able to trust us with the treasures of His kingdom. Now, listen, God wants to entrust you with the treasures of His kingdom. But you've got to get the little stuff right first. I know a, a pastor, bless his heart, my goodness, he's made some I should say former pastor. He's made some terrible choices in his life. And I bumped into him at a restaurant one time and he was on his third wife. And that didn't look very good either. And he was, he was kind of boasting about how he's going to go to Greenwood and raise up this church and raise up a new ministry. And I was just like, okay, great, awesome. And in my heart I was going, it's not going to happen. Because he's not trustworthy with the little things that go on behind closed doors. So God can't trust him with the treasures of the kingdom. He burned those bridges a long time ago when he made the choices that he made when he was a pastor. And now he's, not, he's still not remaining faithful. You know, God's a God of second chances. Can I tell you that? Amen. We can make terrible, horrific choices. If we repent and begin living our lives like he wants us to, he can reinstate us again. But if you keep making the same dumb choices over and over again, God can't trust you with the little things. He's not going to trust you with the treasures of this kingdom if we can't get the little things that goes on behind closed doors right. Am I making sense? So then on that note, remember last week I talked about that each of you have an anointing? Do you remember that? Well, listen to this. Unity allows that anointing on your life to flow unhindered. 
It allows the anointing on your life to flow unhindered. And it also, by the way, unity multiplies spiritual power. I'm going to elaborate on that here for a moment. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That's a pretty cool promise right there. That word agree in that passage is the Greek word symphoneo. It's where we get the word symphony, and it means to be harmonious and in one accord. To agree about anything you ask for, by the way, doesn't just mean agreeing about a specific prayer request. It's implication. It implies two people who are living in harmony with one another agreeing in prayer. That's the implication. All right. Have any of you ever seen the animated movie The Incredibles? I love that movie. I think that's a, that's a great movie. But it, 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 I don't know how, why the Lord does this, but... The Lord often gives me, I'll just be watching a movie sometimes that doesn't necessarily have to do with anything spiritual, like the animated movie The Incredibles. I saw all kinds of spiritual parallels in that movie. Because it's about a family of superheroes. They all have their own unique superpowers. And now the father is the one with the Superman type of strength. He's the strongest of the family. And he goes out and he's trying to accomplish this certain mission and take down this certain villain. And lo and behold, this certain villain has technology that takes him down instead. And it, it takes the whole family banding together to uh, overcome this particular evil and defeat this villain. He could not do it by himself. He needed the help of the rest of his family to take down that villain. So I want you to know that strife in your home is a kryptonite, but unity is a, is a supercharger. And if we are all working together in unity like the Incredibles did, we can accomplish some incredible things in God's kingdom. So again, strife undermines your family and your church because it diminishes spiritual power. It diminishes spiritual power. But on the other hand, unity causes you to go farther than you would ever go alone. Unity causes you to go farther than you ever would alone. I want to give you some, a scriptural reference about that truth right there from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Let's read it together. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if one falls down, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can resist. Moreover, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Well, folks, one of the reasons why God ordained marriage as holy matrimony is because two walking together in agreement multiplies spiritual power and supercharges your anointing. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the reason a church should endeavor to have people, uh, only people on board who agree with the vision and direction of the church is because that agreement strengthens the church and multiplies its spiritual power, but division weakens it. Okay? So l- listen, you're in your church by God's divine design, not only to help you, but also to help the church. 
There's strength in unity, strength in numbers. I often wonder, by the way, I often wonder why people stay in churches where they don't agree with the, with the doctrine or the methodology. And I've seen that from time to time. People complain about their church. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with this. But yet they stay there. I've always wondered, why, why do they do that? Uh, for goodness sake, get out of there. Not just for your sake, but for their sake. Okay? Find a place where you can be in unity with the congregation and the pastor, praise God. And when God helps you to find that place, or when God gives you a spouse, it's to help you to multiply your spiritual power. See, because two people can be stronger together than they could ever be on their own. And, and this is God's design. See, we multiply our spiritual power when we're working together in unity. Now, husbands and wives, I want to speak to you very, very clearly here for just a moment. So take a deep breath. One reason why you're together is not just to keep each other company and to make babies. God has a kingdom assignment for you, which is one reason why Satan comes against you so much to tear you apart, because he knows the power that's in your house if you stay in unity. God's got a kingdom assignment for you because he wants to multiply your spiritual power. You can accomplish so much more together than you ever could alone. For example, how far do you think that I would get shepherding this church if Donna wasn't by my side? Not very far at all. I can tell you that much. You know, Donna is not only a, uh, not only a blessing to me, but she's a blessing to our children and our grandchildren, and she's a blessing to this church as well, isn't she? Yeah. Praise God. Yes. She, she's back there serving with the kids right now, so I will pass on your appreciation. Uh, but my, my point here is that uh, I want to illustrate that God's no respecter of persons, folks. He wants to use you in significant ways as well. He just needs people who are completely sold out to him, and he needs couples who are in unity working together to achieve some kingdom goals. Amen? Now, by the way, let me speak to you single people for a moment. What if you're not married and you live alone? Well, don't ever, don't ever let Satan make you think that you're lesser than because you're single. Okay? Remember, it was the Apostle Paul who equated singleness as preferential in some respects. So Paul is a great example that God can do amazing things through single people. Okay, But single people still need the support of their church family. And the church family still needs you. Okay? Praise the Lord. All right. I want to show you an illustration now to kind of um, to illustrate and amplify... Um, the, the power that's in unity when people, God's people work together. So this is a, a photograph of um, some anti-aircraft uh, guns on, on a ship and people working together to, to load and, and arm those guns and then them being fired. So down on the lower left, you see the guys that are loading those huge guns. Um, so that represents as far as this teaching is concerned, acting together on our faith, acting together on our faith, whether it's in your home, in your church, what have you. Our authority in Christ, which we've been talking about this whole series, is those big guns that you see there. And then 
when the trigger is pulled, boom, there's kingdom impact. So Jesus provides the gun by delegating his authority to us in the world. And unity is the ammunition. And then acting on our faith pulls the trigger for the power of God to be manifest in our world and God's kingdom to advance. Is that making sense? Okay. Is that a pretty good illustration of that truth right there? All right. Praise God. But I also want to show you the opposite truth to this as well. Here's what happens by allowing strife in your home and your church. So willingly giving in to ongoing strife is deadly, folks. It's like the friendly fire from this photo from World War II where a tail wing is torn off of a B-17 bomber by bombs being dropped by another plane above it. Friendly fire. Strife is like that. At some point, it's going to bring destruction on you and those that you love. And there will be collateral damage if you keep letting it go on. It's so serious that the scriptures tell us in more than one place to make every effort to avoid strife and live in unity. See, I don't know why married couples enter marriage thinking that it's not going to be work at times. And the same is true. I don't know why people enter churches thinking that it's not going to be work at times. Folks, listen, any time that you get people involved, there's going to be times where you have to work through some conflict and learn how to skillfully navigate those troubled waters of conflict. Okay? And let me say this. Any time... Okay, brace yourself on this one. I told you I was going to bring it today. Anytime you just bail out on the conflict, anytime that conflict raises its ugly head and you just bail out because you don't like it, you stay immature. You stay immature. You only grow when you learn how to navigate conflict skillfully and biblically. But if you throw a hissy fit every time something doesn't go your way and you're ready to throw in the towel, well... At the risk of putting too fine a point on this, let me just be real honest and tell you that is pitifully immature. It is. <laughs> Whew. I don't know if that's going over like a lead balloon or you're just like contemplating this. It's immature. We need to grow up, don't we? We need to grow up. See, how many times are you going to change spouses because there was conflict in your marriage? How many times are you going to change jobs because there was conflict at work? How many times are you going to change churches because someone rubbed you the wrong way? At some point, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to take a look in the mirror and admit, you know what? Sometimes, maybe in looking around at my life and the way it's turned out, maybe I've had something to do with the way that my life has turned out. Maybe so, Einstein. <laughs> and speaking of Einstein, I think it was him that said, one definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. Hello. So instead of just bailing out then when things get tough, 
or continuing to go around the same mountains over and over and over in your life and you never learn from it? Let's do as Ephesians 4.3 says and make every effort. There it is again in yet another passage. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Folks, I have heard of the stupidest reasons why churches split sometimes. Like over the color of the carpet? Are you kidding me? Grow up. We're talking about the kingdom here. Not a stupid aesthetic thing that you can't agree on. Come on. All right, listen. Move heaven and earth if you have to. Do whatever it takes to keep the bond of peace. And if you're going to do this successfully, folks, sometimes you have to shut your mouth. Listen, listen, sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, peace is better than having to win the argument all the time. Or to always have the last word. Peace is better than that. So many relationships have been blown up because people don't know how or when to keep silent. Now, of course, outside of your marriage, we also know that there's people who don't want to live in peace with you, and they keep things stirred up all the time. You can't keep peace with them no matter how hard you try. Um, in those situations, well, it may be best to just to put a, put a little healthy distance between you and that person um, if it's not your spouse. Uh, not, not out of vindictiveness, of course, okay, but just to preserve your peace. Amen. And there's some extended family members that I've had to do that with, but I'm not married to them, okay? When it comes to marriage, there are times when some effort for a long period of time, has to be exerted before things get worked out if you've let things get really out of control. But don't give up. Nothing is impossible with God's help. All right. I'm going to give you some sage wisdom right now from Ephesians chapter 4 about keeping the bond of peace. So uh, I won't ask you to turn there. I'm just going to pull this up on the screen and we can read this together. So let's read verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger... Do not sin. Did you know it's possible to be angry yet not sin in your anger? Did you know that? Sin in and of it, uh, I should say anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's what you do with that anger. Okay? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know what a foothold is? It's a position for gaining greater access into your life. Okay? Do not give the devil a foothold. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Uh-oh. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Ooh, key line right here. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Key verse right there. Now let's break this down. Let me give you some... Uh, some takeaways from that. Number one, first principle, first 
sage wisdom for keeping the bond of peace. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's that mean? It means don't go to bed still mad at each other. Talk it out if possible. Praise God. And by the way, I want to make another point related to this. You've got to be selective in your battles anyway, folks. You don't have to fight over every little thing for Pete's sake. Again, sometimes peace is better than being right. If you have a situation in your home where you're, you're fighting over how to squeeze the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube, seriously, this happens. Uh, seriously, uh, somebody will squeeze it from the middle and the other party says, don't squeeze it from the middle, squeeze it from the end, and it never happens. They, they, they have blowout fights about this stuff. Okay, I'm going to give you some really deep, deep wisdom right now. If you're fighting over that stuff, get separate tubes of toothpaste. <sighs> Come on. And you'll never fight over it again. All right. Mama likes hers her way, and Daddy likes his his way. Separate tubes of toothpaste. Oh, give us wisdom, Lord. The next sage takeaway from that passage is use your words to benefit others, verse 29. So endeavor to say what is helpful, that it may benefit others. Use your words judiciously. Husbands and wives, please, don't ever swear at each other or call each other names. You can't ever take that. Once that's out there, you can't ever take that back. Don't ever do that. Don't ever swear at each other or call each other names. I've heard of couples doing this, and I, it appalls me. It's like, why would you say that to the person that you said on your wedding day that you're promising to love and cherish? And now you're treating them like your enemy. Don't do that. Don't do that. Another couple of principles for you from that, that passage. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, and slander. So in other words, stop reacting, but start responding. There's a difference. A reaction is just like a, a knee-jerk reaction. You said this, boom, I'm going to say that back. Rather than to do that, take a deep breath. Think for a minute about how you want to respond rather than react. Okay? And then the last and final principle for this passage is strive to be compassionate and forgiving, modeling what Jesus did for us. Now, I admit that in theory, all this sounds very wonderful, but when you start to try to implement it in the heat of the moment, it's not always easy. But that's why you have to go back and read and reread and revisit things that you've read before and you've heard before so that you can, they can be, it can be top of the mind awareness. I, I can't count how many times that I've said something out of just a reaction and then I go back and I remember anger resides in the lap of fools. Oh, yeah. I wish I'd remembered that before, right? It says, be not, this is out of Ecclesiastes, be not quickly provoked in your spirit because anger resides in the lap of fools. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 9, I think it is. You might check me on that. Well, listen, folks, some people think that they'll be giving up something by living this way as if they're giving up their power. But living this way actually empowers you to live on a higher level. Now, I'm almost done here, and there's so much more to say about this, but the Bible it, it actually has a lot to say about marriage. But honestly, 
listen, honestly, most people know what to do. They just don't do it. I've seen couples that have been in church for years. They've heard this stuff over and over. They just don't do it. And you know why that is? Because they don't see the bigger picture. They don't see the kingdom picture here. They don't see what they're sacrificing when they allow strife in their lives, in their homes. They don't see the potential for being greatly used and honored of God when they choose peace over drama. If they could just see the bigger picture of how unity multiplies spiritual power, they would get it right and they would probably do it right now in most cases if they could really get a revelation about that. Yes, it's because people don't understand the principles that we're talking about today that causes them to tolerate the demonic in their lives, in their homes. And folks, I want to, I want to listen real clearly. Strife is demonic and hellish. Kick it out of your home. Or, folks, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to eat you alive. And then you'll look around at all the destruction and you'll say, God, where are you? Well, he's talking to you right now in that still small voice. He wants you to get this right so that it doesn't destroy you. Are you listening? Okay, we're going to do some declarations to end as a church. But before we do that, I want to make a couple of last additional points here before we do these declarations. Um, Number one, if we're going to do this effectively, folks, we have to come to the place where we realize that life is not just all about me. Okay? It's about God's kingdom, which means it's also about other people. Okay? See, if you're going to take your place as, as one of God's vice regents, you're going to have to understand that you are giving up your rights as a Christ follower. You're giving up your rights as an autonomous, independent being. Okay? You're now under the authority of your commander-in-chief. See, the Bible says that that you are not your own anymore. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God. And in doing that, very often, you're going to have to give up your right to be offended and hold bitterness against the other party. You're going to have to realize that you are here to serve, not be served. And when we can get a handle on that, our lives will be happier and more fruitful for His kingdom. And here's... One last insight before we do these declarations. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote in his prayer in that passage that his prayer was that uh, we would have the ability, the power to comprehend the length and width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses human understanding or human knowledge. Folks, when, when, listen, when we get a deeper revelation of God's love toward us and all that we've been forgiven of personally, it becomes so much easier to look past the imperfections of those around us and express the love and grace that's been given to you. Listen, when we can see our own disgusting sins in the light of God's holiness... And then see ourselves in the light of his love and his grace. That changes everything. 
That changes everything. So with that said, we're going to make some declarations now. Would you stand with me for a moment? If you are here with your family, I would just like to ask you families to join hands for a moment. I'm going to have these up on the screen. There's nothing magical about these declarations, but what they do is that they just kind of galvanize in your heart and mind what we've talked about today. And actually, let me do this too. It, it, some of you people that are here by yourselves, we're all a family of God. And I want the same unity that we're declaring over our, our families to be a part of our church as well. Could some of you folks that are, that are just here by yourself, could you stretch out and grab the hand of somebody? We're just going to declare this over our homes and our church as well. So um, we're going to read this together. Are you ready to do this? Here we go. Look at the screen. One, two, three. I commit to living a lifestyle of love in my life, my church, and my home. I commit to banishing all forms of strife and disharmony. I commit to living a lifestyle of love and gentleness at all times and allowing the love and grace of Christ to flow through me toward my spouse and all pe people I know. Hallelujah. Did you mean that? Amen. Praise God. I want that to be true for your church as well as your homes and all of your interactions for that matter. So that's our commitment. Can you commit to that? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.